0: If you would please turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. We are looking at verses 3 through 6a. We are in part of a, a single sentence that the Apostle Paul started in verse 3 and runs through verse 14. But this last two sections that we have been looking at is what I call the Trinity's plan. Looking at the Trinity's plan. One was aspects of blessing in verse 3 and then 3 through 6 is aspects of the forming of the body. All of this taking place before the foundations of the world. So we can see into the throne room of God as the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, made plans for the incarnation of Jesus Christ in His body and the organism that you and I call the church. Please follow with the reading of the word. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing and heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us to adoptions as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intentions of his will, to the praise and glory of his grace, which he freely bestows upon us. Father, help us to have ears to hear this. Father, help us to be overwhelmed by what we hear. Father, I I look at your church in this country. So often she does not know what she possesses. So, Father, I pray for these faithful souls that they will understand what they already possess and the power that is behind it, the provision that is behind it, and the awe that should surround it. In Christ's name, amen. This is the Trinity's plan for the forming of the body, the body of Christ. It is one of many terms that the Bible used to describe the church. It's a wonderful thing. And, but, the, but we struggle because I see a lot of people, they just want, uh, they want the church to be more of an organization. They want the church to be more of a... A business. I mean, you know, I understand some of the mentality behind it. I understand the the reasons that so many people get into it. I was speaking to a gentleman whose church just did a remodel. Okay, a remodel. Sixty million dollar remodel. And I'm sitting there going... What kind of mortgage do you have? What is your monthly mortgage? And he says it costs them $4,500 a week for interest. Okay. So you can't make people mad. That is astonishing to me. But I have seen this over and over and over. Uh, I know a church here in town that is getting ready to build. They're all excited. They've been ridding for uh, probably 10 years. And, you know, their numbers fluctuate. It's hard to have to do, sometimes do two services. Sometimes they have to do one service. Or, and so, and it was wearing him out. And so they're they're going to buy property or they have bought property. And I know the locations, I'm not going to say anything because people will drive by and say, well, you're talking about such and such. And that's not going to tell you. But he came to me and he says, we got a deal. And I says, well, that's that's awesome. He says, you know, we're going to meet with the neighbors and explain to them and all the rest of it. And he says, and we only paid $45 per square foot for the property, for the property. I used to build commercial buildings for $45 finished per square foot. Okay? Now, if you're going to step into that venue, you have got to gear it so that you attract more people. You have got to have a steady stream of cash. Okay, and, and and I'm a firm believer in the sovereignty of God. God will always provide. But if you're stupid, He will provide the world to see your stupidity. He is so gracious that way. Okay, but I, I share that because when I think about what the church truly possesses right now, I, I can't wrap my head around it. It is it is stunning to me. I remember when we moved from downtown to up here, the guy made an offer on our building, and it was hilarious. He says, I will give you this building that we're in right now in $70,000 cash to do with it however you want, and we'll give you 120 days to get it done. So I met with the elders and we talked about it, we prayed about it, and we never even came back. Uh, I was in construction, uh, one of the other elders was in construction. We thought, well, you know, we can take a lot of this off. I had some people who I had known through my years of construction who says, I'll donate my labor for a tax receipt and you just buy material and we, we, it was all working out and we was trying to figure out what could we do for $70,000 and then the next thing I know he came back and he says, well I'll tell you what, we will give you $100,000 and that building And you'll get 120 days. And we said, well, okay, well, you know, let's, we'll go pray about it. I'll meet with the elders and we'll see what we can do. And before the week was out, he came back with $150,000 in this building. And then by the time we squared it away, it was $372,000 in this building. And 120 days to do what we wanted. We never made a counter. And I remember one, some of you guys know Hank Smith. Hank Smith looked at me and says, we should have hung out for half a million. (laughs) So, and if you don't know our other building, you have no idea what a blessing this is. Because we were running almost $500 a month in a heat bill so that everybody could sit with the coat on. Okay? Because it was forced air with a vaulted ceiling. And there, I never mind the the electricity in it, it had originally been gaslight and they got rid of the gas and pulled wire through the gas lines. And it was uh cloth wire and it had its own issues. OK, so uh, but we I look at that and I say, that's how God does stuff. But there are times I wish we would have held out for half a million. But anyway, um <laughs> And plus, we got parking. We didn't have parking down there. I share that because one of the things that I have seen in the body of Christ uh, on an individual basis and on a collective basis is people don't understand what they possess because they are a Christian. Okay, now, and, and if you really look at it, we have to go through some horrific things to understand what we already have. We are looking at the planning of the body by the Godhead. The aspects of the forming of the body. The method we've already looked at. God's sovereign will. And the body was formed before there was a creation. The object that makes up the forming of the body are the elect. Those who are truly called by the Lord. All right. Now, listen, I know a whole bunch of people here who said, well, I remember when such and such got saved and then they walked away and they did this. You know what? You don't know that they're elect. If they're elect, there's no doubt in anybody's mind. okay? because there's a change and it's radical. It's radical. And I'll deal with that a little more. Okay, the time that this was done, a lot of people... I remember that I used to tell everybody, I got saved when the Oakland Raiders beat the Washington Redskins. And it was the first time the AFC had beat the NFC in my lifetime, I think. And everybody looks at me like, that's how you know when... It's a long story, but that was my marker. But then as I grew in my understanding, I realized that I was saved... Before creation, before a star was flung into the heavens. All right? Now, now that's kind of, that gets on your head a little bit. Your head starts going, woo. Okay? Before God created time, he formed the body of Christ. Throughout time that he hadn't created yet. Does that mess with you yet? <laughs> that's one of those, you sit there and go... Huh? So, see, that's why we don't make a movie about it. <laughs> we don't know how to do it. Is that going to be like an eternal movie? Or a two-hour movie? Or a miniseries? Okay. So, but I, I share that because that is the time. Okay, now then, I want to move into this one. And I'm just going to get this one done today. The purpose of forming the body of Christ... There are times, and I'm sure that you guys have stepped into it a time or two, that you look at different individuals or different collections of individuals, and your first question is, why did he do this? Because there are times that I run into people that I say, you've got to be kidding me. But I did go to my 40th class reunion, and when I walked in there, that was their response. How could he have done that? And I said, well, you know, it was some work. I was a tad bit on the stiff neck side, but he did uh, manage. Why did he do this? Okay, right there in the middle of verse four. Remember, it was before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. Hagimas, that's holy, okay? It means set apart, all right? The things of the world aren't as important to a child of God as it is to a lost person. I am set apart. A Christian is set apart from the world. I remember a friend of mine was talking about a very wealthy man that he knew... And was sharing, and they played golf together and all the rest of it. And I mean, this guy was extremely, extremely wealthy. A single, private jet, private islands, the whole nine yards, and they played golf together. And one day they were out on a golf course, and he, he said, John, are you praying for me to get saved? And he says, I've been praying for you every day since I've known you. And he says, I don't want to be saved. And he says, well, I'm still not going to stop praying for you. And he says, listen, if I get saved, I have to give up the jets, uh, the cars, the women, the lifestyle. I have to give that all up. And I know emphatically that I can't do it and I won't do it. I, won't, I, I do not believe salvation is worth what I possess. Okay, John looked at him and said, well, look at it from this perspective. You don't have to give up any of it. And the guy's like, what? He says, you don't have to give up any of it. He says, but know this. At salvation, the price tags change. What you used to put value on, all of a sudden, is not of great, as great a value as you thought. Okay? And I see that in the church as an anchor. Because we look at the church and a church is successful if it looks like the world. I was at a funeral yesterday. Big church here in town. All I could think of at the conclusion of it is Walt Disney would be proud. Now that's kind of odd, don't you think? It was spectacular. I mean, they didn't have the smoke machines and fireworks, but they were close. I mean, you just looked at it and you're like, wow, man, this is, you know, wow, I'm impressed. Uh, And then I snuck out the back so that no one got a picture of me. To be holy means I don't look like the world. Okay? But there's another word there I want you to see. It says blameless. Before him. Okay. Who is the him there? God. The word blameless there. Is a momus. A momus. It literally means. Without blemish. Blameless. Without blemish. Now. Right now. If you think about it. Okay. You're holy. And without blemish. You are spotless before God. I wonder how many of you think that this is where the whole plan of the Trinity has broken down. Okay. How many can say, I'm a Christian. And I can't do this before him. I cannot be blameless before him. Ever thought about that? Just take the first two commandments. You blameless? Spotless. I have loved the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind and strength. And I have loved my neighbor as myself. Had a meeting this morning with a guy. And shortly into the conversation, I realized I did not love him as my neighbor. I wasn't even... I didn't even think I even liked him. I mean, when you're sitting listening to someone and you're thinking, I'm wasting time. It doesn't sound that loving, does it? Okay? And then I'm thinking about this sermon I'm going to preach. I'm blameless, spotless, without blemish before God. As long as no one is in my office talking to me. (laughs) I love Christ, but I am nowhere near blameless. I cannot think of a spotless time. When I was even holy. The guy who wrote Pilgrim's Progress was imprisoned in the Tower of London. And every Sunday morning, he would get to a window and preach out the window, and the masses would gather at the bottom of the tower on the outside wall to hear him preach. He had a crippled daughter. And at that time, there was no such thing as civil service or anything like that to help her. And Queen Mary says, I will release you if you shut up. Stop preaching. You know what he said? Nope. Ain't going to do it. They asked him about it. and He says, listen. My most righteous prayers to the Most High God have enough sin in them to condemn the world. And he wouldn't even be released from prison for the sake of his handicapped daughter. But guess what? You can sit and say, I can't remember ever being holy. I can't ever Remember, never being blameless. And I can look you right now and say, yes, you are. Christ is showing you and me what our position is. The key phrase there. In Christ. In him. See, we got three chapters coming up. Chapter four, five and six that will tell us what this blamelessness, what this holiness looks like. But he says, I'm not going to show you that first until you understand where you are positionally. Remember in verse three, we bless the Lord. Bless the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We speak well of him. Why? Because of our position in Christ. We are in Christ. Listen, Paul is not referring here to our practice. Our practice is in chapter 4, 5, and 6. He's saying, because you are in the body of Jesus Christ, this is how you are. He starts this amazing letter with our positional truth. A positional truth. Positionally. Every one of you who are saved this day, and I don't care who you are, I don't care what part of the planet are you on, positionally, before God, you are absolutely, perfectly holy right now. You will not get any holier than you are right now. Why? Verse 4. He had chosen us in Him. We are in Christ, end of verse 3. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. That's the reason. Because we are in Christ. His holiness is ours. Because I'm in him. Because we are in Christ. His righteousness is imputed to us. Go over to chapter 5, verse 27. Paul doesn't want them to forget this. That he might present himself, present to himself, the church in all of her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be what? Holy and blameless. Without blemish before a holy God. Not a mark on her. Not a wrinkle honor, not a shadow honor, not a stain honor. We are one with Christ. His blood covers our sin. His blood hides it, our sin, from a holy God. It's all hidden. When he looks on each believer throughout time, all he sees is Christ's righteousness. That's all he sees. Okay, when you see the word righteousness, don't get up on your high horse. It means right standing before God. When God looks upon us and sees Christ's righteousness, he sees an individual that has never done anything wrong. He is right before God. We are covered in Christ. We are clothed in Christ's sacrifice. That is our position. And there's no process in this. It is instantaneously at the moment of your salvation. Okay, let me show you a text. It's one of my favorite ones. Some of you have heard me teach it before. But I think there are times that we forget it. It Comes out of Romans 6, verses 4 and 5. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into his death. So that as Christ is raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in the newness of life. Now stop right there because I watch a lot of people try to tell me that this is an allegory. Okay? Unless you take it back to the original language. The word baptiz- baptism, bab- baptism means to immerse. Okay? So I have been immersed into what? His death. Okay, now let me ask you a question. How dead was Christ? All right? Completely. You were immersed into his physical death. So how dead were you if you were immersed? Okay? But Christ was raised from the dead. And if you look at this word, the word dead in the original language, you know what it means? Dead. You were dead. Through the glory of the father, you were raised. Why? So that we too, the word "too" there is also, we also might walk in what? Newness of life. Now, listen, he could have stopped right there and said, all right, you got my attention. But he does something that's a little better. For we have become united with Him in the likeness of His death. Certainly we also will be in the likeness of His resurrection. Okay. The word I want to look at in that verse is united. Okay. That word isn't, doesn't give it its depth. It's two words that are translated in, 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 uh, out of the Greek and it's translated united. Okay, one term means that I'm walking with someone, shoulder to shoulder, and we are united in a task. Okay, that ain't this word. Okay, the word that is used here to unite is when you would take, and this is the best illustration I've ever heard of it, Is that when you take the separate ingredients to make a biscuit? Okay, now please do not expect me to explain this. Because I know that there's flour in it, butter in it, I don't know what all's in it, but it's you guys, some of you guys have made homemade biscuits. I happen to be an eater of homemade biscuits. (laughs) I don't know how to make them. But if you take them and mix it all up, you can still separate it back out. But at 400 degrees in the oven, you bring it back out, you ain't separating those ingredients, individual ingredients, ever again, right? Okay? That's the term that is used here. When he says, you have become united with Christ, it means that the individual ingredients can never, ever be separated. Now, don't walk out of here and say, you know, I'm a Jesus biscuit. (laughs) I mean, you know, I... I get enough things going on there. You know, Terry says we're all biscuits for Jesus. Um, and that's not what i It's just an illustration. Okay? But But do you understand that? When he says you're united with Christ, there is absolutely no possibility to separate the individual ingredients. In the next three chapters of Ephesians explain what the practice should look like if you are united with Christ. Listen, Christian life is simple making our practice look like our position, living like who we are. Dr. Olford used to say it. Flesh it out. Becoming what we are. The ability is there. The power is there. The source is there. The privilege is there. The problem is. Too many in the body of Christ. Don't know what they possess. Think about this. God looks at each. And every Christian, and he sees a holy, spotless, without blemished individual that can never be separated from Jesus Christ. I know, if you pull back the cover, (laughs) I got a long way to go. (laughs) So let's keep that clothing of Christ on us. So the Apostle Paul would say, you know what? I'm a clay pot. I am an earthen vessel. I am a vessel of absolutely no value whatsoever. It is used to take the waste of the house out, is this vessel, with a precious treasure inside. So Paul is explaining our privilege. God has made a holy church. He has made a blameless church. He has made a church without blemished. And it is only, the body of Christ is only as holy as the Lord Jesus Christ. That's all. Positionally. Before God. How gracious and kind. Now listen, I got two more chapters of this. Before we start looking at it positionally or practically. I don't know about you. I get overwhelmed by it. But I ain't done. So many live with an attitude. Okay, now they may theologically understand that it's not true. But that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is the attitude that God takes us halfway. And if you have what it takes, you'll go the rest of the way. If you go look at the biography of Martin Luther, that's what he thought. And then he was riding back to the monastery one night and a bolt of lightning hit the tree beside him on his horse. And he it knocked him out. And when he came to, he realized, (laughs) God takes you all away. And you know what? I watch a lot of people think, I've got to have one of these lightning bolt things or I'm not going to make it. And that's a lie. That's a deceptive heart. He takes us all the way. God takes us forever all the way. There is no halfway. If you're united with Christ, what part's lacking? If the individual ingredients cannot be separated, what's lacking? All right. Just in case you have a little doubt left, I have one more text that I will share with you. Colossians chapter 2. He's discussing uh, the ideology and philosophies of the world. And he says in verse 8, Don't let this take you captive. Through philosophies, empty deceptions, according to the traditions of men. Elementary principles. Okay? Verse 9 is what I want to look at. And verse 10. For in Him, Okay, that'd be Christ, All the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Got that? That's what we call the incarnation. God takes on the veil of humanity. Verse 10. And in him, you have been made complete. And he is the head over all rule and authority. Now, I want to show you something here. Verse 10, it says, I've been made complete. Can okay, you know what that means? You're not lacking anything. Verse 9 says that he is the fullness of God. If he is the fullness of God, then you are in him, then you are complete. All right, let me show you something. Glad you're all sitting down. You might want to grab a hold of the sides of your seats. Verse 9, for in him... All the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. The word fullness there? Pleroma. Pleroma. Okay? Nothing's lacking. Pleroma. The pleroma of God. All that God is, is in Christ in bodily form. All right? New American Standards Translation in verse 10 says, In him you have been made complete, or it may say made full. You know what the word is in the Greek? Pleroma. The same word that the fullness of God is in Christ is the fullness of God. Oh. Oh. What made Jesus Christ 100% deity? Guess what? Makes each and every believer 100% the deity. All that God is, we became in Christ. Just as holy, just as blameless, and just as spotless as Jesus Christ. Happens instantaneously with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Positionally. Positionally. What happens is, is that we go through trials and tribulations to test our faith to see if we believe this. And our faith is perfected under the assaults of this world. That we start understanding we walk as Christ walks. When the church starts doing that, she'll turn the world upside down. Look what 11 half-hearted guys did. That, brothers and sisters, is the absolute reason I believe it is impossible to lose your salvation. Now, I know people who have walked away, but all you're telling me is that you never had it. Our salvation is in Christ. What can take that away from Him? How do you unbake the biscuit? How do you shed the fullness of the Godhead indwelling you molecularly? Listen, we can lose our salvation if Christ can lose His. So a Christian is only as secure as Christ is. Had that discussion this week <laughs> with someone. I said because he kept get they get into this. Uh, so you believe in tulip? Uh, that's five points of Calvinism. And they like to get on and well, do you believe, da-da-da, and they, they get into it, and I, well, I, yeah, whatever. I said, you ever read John Calvin? No. Then where did you get Tulip? Okay, and I said, so you must believe in Daisy, and he said, what? I said, Daisy, he loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. They didn't think it was funny. <laughs> When you read through the letter to the Hebrews, salvation is always referred to as perfection. That is our salvation, brothers and sisters. Perfection. We are made holy in Christ. That's why you see grouchy Christians, they believe that God took them halfway and it's their job to get the other half and they're busting their rear ends to be holy and blameless. And I... I haven't gotten the strength yet to tell him that your grouchiness doesn't make you spotless. One of these days, I will get brave enough to say that to a few that I have dealt with. Think about it. All that he has done is making us holy, imputing to us the righteousness of Jesus Christ to the point that the fullness of deity is in every child of God. Listen, once you get that settled, it'll change your life. Not only will it change your life, it'll overwhelm your life. And you will also wake up grateful and giving of our lives to be as He is. And the removal of idols is simple. And there is never any conflict and the removing of the idol, because I am the fullness of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this theology. Father, I pray for those who have heard this, that they understand what they have now. But Father, I pray that as I found myself so overwhelmed in this whole chapter, Father, my brothers and sisters will be overwhelmed too. I think that we are without blemish before you. Father, help us. Help us, as you say in chapter 4, verse 1, walk worthy. Help us to walk worthy. Father, may we walk in the fullness of who we are. May we walk in the fullness of who you are. May we be overwhelmed by your presence. To you, my King and my Lord. Amen.